Hi, this is Deanna. And this is Michelle. And this is Historable. So Michelle. So Deanna. Happy historical episode day. <laughs> We're back. Historical day. Yay. Every day is a historical day. It really is. Yeah, so I think I just am going to hop right in to today's episode. Yeah, I don't know what we're talking about today, so I'm excited. We will be talking about Claudette Colvin. Most likely, this is somebody you have not heard about, that she was the first black woman to be arrested for challenging Montgomery's bus segregation policies. At the age of 15, she refused to move to the back of the bus and give up her seat. And nine months later, Rosa Parks did the very same thing. So she was the first. She was. I'll talk about it a little bit later, but for many, many years was kind of unknown. So we'll just jump right into it. Yeah, let's hear about it. Claudette grew up in the rural town of Pine Level, Alabama. So that was about 30 miles out from Montgomery. She grew up on a farm uh, run by her great aunt and uncle, lots of family, tons of animals. I was kind of laughing reading about it just because it sounded like your dream of just being surrounded by animals forever. Um, So she was just surrounded by a bunch of families. I can relate. (laughs) You know, they were a little bit kind of in their own area in the more rural area, but even at a young age, she could feel some of the impact of racism during that time. So I don't think I actually said what year we were in now that I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) Yeah, good point. (laughs) Yeah. So this was, I believe this was the like early to mid 1940s. Got it. Okay. So one story that came up a lot, just kind of talking about her first real experience with racism when she was young was when she was six. Her and her mother had gone to, I think it was like a store or a candy shop or something. And she's waiting in line. And there was a group of white children that were pointing and laughing at her. She's quoted as saying, one little white boy approached me and said, let me see your hands. So I raised my hands up. Then he approached me and he touched my hands. Immediately, her mother kind of gave her a quick backhand slap on the mouth. Basically, was like, you're not supposed to touch each other. So that was and kind of an early memory from her childhood. Like, oh, as a you know, young black girl, I'm not supposed to be touching white children. Interesting. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Around the age of eight, uh, she moved to Montgomery And her and her family moved into the low-income black neighborhood of King Hill. This is kind of where our story truly begins. Um, It all takes place in Montgomery. Got it. The date is March 2nd, 1955. At this time, Claudette was 15. She was a student at Booker T. Washington High School. And this was a segregated school in the heart of kind of Jim Crow South areas. 
Um, we, I know we've talked about Jim Crow laws in the past and other episodes. So if you're not familiar with those, definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously not a great time in history. Claudette was a very gifted and talented student. And given some of the things that she had seen growing up, um, she really had a lot of aspirations to become a civil rights attorney. So at her segregated school, one of the, I guess, perks of it is that since it was segregated, um, a lot of her curriculum and the things that they studied were related to black leaders, black history. So she really was given kind of an in-depth look on black leaders like Harriet Tubman, understanding, you know, the Underground Railroad. At that time, they were also studying Sojourner Truth. And so Sojourner was a former slave who became an abolitionist and woman's right activist. Yeah. So with this, I mean, I think it really inspired Claudette more and more um, to hear these stories of these strong women and things that were going out or sorry, going on during history. Also, the class talked a lot about the injustices that they were experiencing daily under the Jim Crow segregation laws. Totally. They're having a firsthand like experience with it all. So that makes sense. Yeah. So there would be, you know, a room full of you know, black teenagers talking about, you know, the inequities, not being able to eat at a lunch counter, not being able to go try on clothing and having to like have their parents trace their feet to go buy shoes at the shoe store because they weren't allowed to try on shoes, like all of this crazy stuff. Uh, One day on March 2nd, all the students had been let go early. Um, I don't know, school ended early that day. So everyone left. They're like, we're going to make our way home. There were a bunch of students that boarded a segregated public bus, and the route that this bus followed, it kind of like wound through different segregated neighborhoods, and so along the way, obviously, would start to fill up with passengers. Pretty normal for a bus. So the issue that day arose because all the seats on the bus were taken. So Claudette and her friends were sitting in a row a little more than halfway down the bus. So they weren't, you know, in the front. They weren't in the middle. They were kind of in the, the back half. Two of her friends were on the right side of the bus, and two of her friends were on the left side of the bus. Then there was a white passenger standing in the aisle between them. The driver of the bus wanted Claudette and her friends to move, move to the back of the bus and go stand so the white passenger could sit. Apparently that was part of the bus driver's authority and responsibility too was to kind of manage where people were sitting which I guess I never really thought about but I learned about (laughs) reading this episode yeah I would think it was the passengers themselves that was like policing that you know I would have never thought it was the bus driver doing that so interesting fact yeah so the driver was like hey move to the back let this white woman sit down and Claudette refused she was quoted as saying in a later interview I would have done it for an elderly person, but this was a young white woman. Three of the other students got up reluctantly, but I remained sitting next to the window. She's also quoted as saying, History had me glued to the seat. It felt as if Harriet Tubman's hand was pushing me down on one shoulder and Sojourner Truth's hand was pushing me down on the other. Learning about these two women gave me the courage to remain seated that day. So you could really tell how her... Education really gave her a lot of strength when and being 15, I keep thinking about this teenage girl just standing up for herself. So she was like, nope, not going to move. 
The driver kept on driving, and then I guess he reached an area and a junction, pulled over, and at that point, there was a police squad car waiting. Two white policemen boarded the bus and asked Claudette why she wouldn't give up her seat, and this is where things get heated. So the policemen go on the bus. They start talking to Claudette. As I mentioned, it gets heated. They keep shouting at her to get up. And by all reports, Claudette just kept saying over and over, it's my constitutional right to sit here as much as that lady. I paid my fare. It's my constitutional right. These policemen unfortunately got aggressive, knocked the books out of her lap and grabbed her and then dragged her off the bus. She was very smart. Uh, Once they kind of picked her up, she purposely went limp. She didn't try to fight back. She just kind of went limp and let them, you know, pull her off, which is horrible to think about, but very smart of her to not fight. Yeah. And at that point, she was handcuffed and taken away in the police car. In the police car, uh, from her accounts, they shockingly weren't super nice. Apparently, they swore at her. They ridiculed her, called her many awful names, did a lot of inappropriate jokes, all of the things. It was not a great police car ride. I'm sure none sure. of them are I great, mean, as but. far as police rides go, <laughs> yeah, that's one of the top best ones. <laughs> it's like, why you have to be mean to this 15-year-old girl? But yeah, anyway. It, just, it seems weird when looking from the outside in, thinking like, how could you do this to a 15-year-old girl, like regardless, just because her skin color? You know, it just kind of seems like, how does that justify in your mind? I don't know. Different Who times. Who knows? Different yeah. times. The craziest part of all of it, well, there's a lot of craziness, but this is also crazy. Obviously, she's 15. And instead of being taken to like a juvenile detention center, she was actually taken to an adult jail. She was then put in a small cell, wasn't allowed to make a phone call. Nothing was in the cell but a broken sink and a cot without a mattress. So obviously, this poor young girl is terrified. She's scared. I mean, I can't imagine all the fear she must have been feeling at that time. Especially considering that her crime was sitting in a bus seat. Right. So as I mentioned, there were other students on the bus that witnessed all of this. So immediately they ran home. They contacted Claudia's mother. So several hours later, Claudia's mother and a local pastor actually came and bailed her out of the jail. So luckily... I think she was only in there for a few hours, but um, I'm glad that they were able to locate her and get her out very quickly. Mm -hmm. So she came home. The whole community in the neighborhood obviously heard what had happened, and they were so glad she was okay, but obviously were also on high alert. They were worried that, you know, people such as the KKK or others might come into the neighborhood and start some stuff, given the fact that she was, you know, going against a a white male police officer and everything like that. And as we've seen in other history episodes that you've done, things like this can sometimes spark violence. So totally all night, her father sat on the porch with a loaded shotgun just in case anyone came by. Then the neighborhood also kind of kept watch. Thankfully, nothing happened. Everyone was safe that evening. But 
who knows what could have happened. Definitely. So following the event, uh, Claudette was charged with two counts of violating Montgomery's segregation ordinance and one felony count of assaulting a police officer. She was convicted on all counts in juvenile or sorry, juvenile court, and the segregation conviction was overturned on appeal. So after she was convicted for the assault charge, she was placed on an indefinite probation. And apparently Claudette was just never informed of if and when her probation ever ended. So insanity. It's insanity for sure. Unfortunately, too, during this time, the community that was very happy that she was safe, they were so glad she was back, kind of the support very quickly dwindled and changed. She lost most of her friends. The parents of those children said she was a troublemaker. She was shunned by many members of the community. So it was a very rough, rough time for her. Um, she experienced mm-hmm. a lot of difficulties. This is also... She's 15. Um, That's very hard on the psyche of a 15-year-old. Yep. And not long after, I'm not exactly sure when, but she actually did uh, become pregnant out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of another thing that people did frown upon. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually when Rosa Parks enters the chat. So pretty quickly after Claudia's arrest, she was approached by Rosa Parks At that time, uh, Rosa was a secretary at the Montgomery NAACP, and she was also a seamstress. So for a little bit of a brief time, they kind of became semi-besties. They were pretty close. Claudette would occasionally go stay at her home, and she would often serve as a mannequin for wedding dresses that Rosa Parks had sewn. All right. That's cool. So the impact of this was very interesting. So obviously... Claudette had done her thing. Nine months later, Rosa Parks does her thing. I'm not going to go into that. This isn't an episode about Rosa. But Claudette was like, you know what? It doesn't really bother me that Rosa Parks has become the face of this whole bus boycott thing, even though like I kind of did it first. She was like, I'm just happy that adults in the community are following in my footsteps. They're taking a direct stand. She was very passionate about, you know, civil rights and really wanted to make things better. So at the time, she was like, eh, okay, mm-hmm. not a big deal. At least somebody's doing something about this. I also read, too, that there were other women that had also done similar things um, as far as, you know, refusing to get off a bus. But Claudette was the first one that was actually arrested for it. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. these women would get a fine, and it would we would all just move on. So mm-hmm. it was a really big deal with the Claudette story. But there are countless women who did the same thing and obviously have different levels of recognition for doing so. Yeah, maybe their names are lost to history, which is like so unfortunate because not to say that what Rosa Parks did is lessened at all because she wasn't the first one. It's still a really big stand to take and it takes like, you know, a lot of cojones to do that. But it is unfortunate that some other women's names have been lost to history. Definitely. And I just recently, so Claudette is still around, and I read an article that was an interview where someone was asking about, hey, like, how did you feel about Rosa Parks and you not getting the credit? And so I have a direct quote from her. And now, obviously, she's, you know, 
much later on in life. She's, I think she's in her 80s yeah. um, and has time to think about it. And obviously her feelings about the whole scenario have changed from when she was a teenager to now. So what she's quoted as saying is the local civil rights leaders wanted someone, I believe, who would be impressive to white people and be a drawing. You know what I mean? Like the main star. And they didn't think that a dark-skinned teenager, low income without a degree, could contribute. It's like reading an old English novel when you're the peasant and you're not recognized. So obviously feelings have changed. Her perspective has changed over time. There is a lot that's out there, which I didn't go too deep into, but speculations on, you know, why Rosa Parks became the face of the movement and kind of she was this motherly figure. She was kind of an older lady. She had a little bit of lighter skin. There was a lot of reasons I think that she ended up being such a big piece of the puzzle, whereas some of these other women weren't. But yeah. that's a whole nother whole nother episode. Definitely. <laughs> There is something that Claudette also did, which is very impactful. So two months into kind of the bus boycott thing, there was a big case, the Browder versus Gale case. And I can't remember if we've covered, if we covered that case in any of our past episodes. I don't believe that we've talked about it at all yet. But sum it up, this was the landmark lawsuit case that went all the way to the Supreme Court that eventually found that bus segregation was unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. All right. So Claudette was actually one of the four plaintiffs and testified in court. So her attorney, Fred Gray, had approached her about this lawsuit and was like, hey, I think your experience is really impactful here. And then obviously it was. So a few months after giving her giving birth to her son, Raymond. She was testifying in court and was a part of a very pivotal Supreme Court case, which is very exciting. Definitely. So throughout her late teens and early 20s, unfortunately, Claudette still really continued to struggle for opportunities in the Montgomery area. The local leaders in the Black community still were ostracizing her. Um, They weren't really embracing her. And obviously, there was a ton of racism in that area at that time. So in her early 20s, she kind of gave up her dream of becoming a civil rights attorney and moved to New York and became a nursing assistant. Following that... Great job. Yeah. Following that, her story really kind of went untold. She wouldn't really talk about it. She didn't mention it in the community that she moved to a New York. She was worried that people wouldn't understand. And I think it was just a very understandably, I don't know the right word, maybe a stressful topic to talk about. I could see that. She just kind of abandoned talking about it. And at the time, too, there really wasn't, there was a little bit of news coverage, like in local papers on what had went down, but it obviously was, it just kind of disappeared, right? And then you had the big Rosa Parks thing, which made national news, which was very different. Yes. It wasn't until Claudette retired that she actually began opening up and telling her story in public. So we're talking like in the past like 10, 15 years. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that helped was in 2009, there was a writer named Philip Hoos. House? Not sure how to pronounce it. Sorry, Philip. He <laughs> He actually found out about her story and he published a book that told her story in detail for the first time. It's called Claudette Colvin, Twice Towards Justice. Um, And I think from his perspective, he was just blown away by that there was this 
teenager who was in the same city as Rosa Parks, the same bus system, all this stuff happened to her and nobody really knew about it. So he really wanted to bring awareness to her story, um, which is super cool. And you can read different excerpts from the book and obviously purchase the book. But yeah, he wrote it in 2009. So not that long ago. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I think one of the greatest things through all of this is finally Claudette's story is getting out there. She's really claimed her place as a pivotal player in the struggle for racial equality during the civil rights era. There are now streets named after her in New York and Montgomery. And actually before the pandemic, she started touring schools to tell her story. So that was just very exciting. I'm glad that her story is getting told and is inspiring others as well. Starting to make the history books a little bit more. Yeah. A little more complete and accurate. Mm -hmm. So in 2021, 66 years later, after her court case went down, finally an Alabama family court judge granted Colvin, like he signed off on a petition to expunge her record. (laughs) So better late than never, I guess. (laughs) Yep. So they petitioned it and the court was, or the judge was like, yes, destroy the records. Destroy all the references to the arrest. We have officially expunged your record. We are so sorry. So that was literally, yeah, November Two years ago, twenty twenty one. So not that long you, ago. I thought you. I thought you were gonna say they decided that in twenty twenty one they decided to end her indefinite probation period. <laughs> yeah, this is this is better. Well, yeah, that was part of it too. The one of the source notes that I'll put on there is an article, but. The attorneys working on it that helped put this all together was like, they never gave her an end date. She's still technically on probation. This is ridiculous. So Mm -hmm. anyway, hooray, it's been expunged. And I think I wanted to wrap up the episode with a quote that she gave in an interview recently. And she was asked, what are some of the lessons that you want to pass on and kind of be known for? And so she was quoted as saying, Don't be afraid to stand up and fight for what's right. Get out there in the struggle. The more of us that are out there, the more powerful we will be. You might not benefit from it right away, but the younger generation behind you will benefit from it. And I just think that is such great, I don't know, it's just very articulate, very impactful. And I think it was just a really cool quote. So yeah, I just wanted to share that. Definite mic drop for sure. I think that's a theme that comes up a lot. I think when we talk about like black history month or any sort of injustice that we've discussed before is so for instance, last week's episode, we discussed Nat Turner's rebellion and how, and the previous weeks, you know, there was the 1898, uh, 1898 Wilmington thing. And these things, these people weren't able to see immediate results, but it definitely changed the course of history and that's the truth you know you can't go into it saying like i want to see immediate results sometimes it takes some time but there's strength in numbers for sure so yeah and i think once i heard about her and her story although it is a a brief point in time of the whole movement and obviously she kind of pursued other passions in her 20s and became a nurse and wasn't really involved i think it was really important for us to know who she is and what she did and i think being such a strong teenager, I still am like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being 15 
and being like, no, and then handling it in such a way. I, like, I don't know. Props to her. Such I a, cannot imagine. <laughs> such a graceful way. But I kind of feel like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes when we're 15, we got some teenage angst in us and we want to fight the man and stand up to the man. And maybe that helped her out. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. It does take a lot for a 15 year old to do that. So good on her. Yeah. So a lot of people say she kind of helped move things forward, especially given the fact that everything with the bus boycott and everything really got, you know, bigger in Montgomery not long after she did this a few months later. So just something cool to think about when you're thinking of the course of history. For sure. Well, awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad that we covered her story today. And thank you so much for doing all the research and going into that. I really love that quote there at the end. I feel like that is like a perfect way to like encapsulate like our intentions in Black History Month, you know, Um, or at least like represent some of the stories that we've been talking about. So thank you so much for this episode. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast streaming service you're using. Make sure to follow us as well. That's really helpful. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all historical podcast. Also, feel free to send us a Gmail, maybe about something about your angsty teen days. Who knows? <laughs> Historicalpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, we love you guys. We love Thank you, you a lot. Listening. Thank you for listening today. <laughs> and Dee, thanks again for this really, really insightful episode. She definitely no goes problem. on the bad B list for sure. She is definitely on our bad B list. Yeah. Very much up there. I'm we really need to properly rank everyone one day. But I don't know. Everyone's a bad B. So maybe we everyone's just everyone's a bad B. You're just in the pool. I don't know. But anyway, yes, definitely a bad B. And I yeah. wanted to make sure that you knew her name. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. We will see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. That's really cool. I love her story and I love that she was so low key and wasn't like out screaming on the streets being like, I was first. No, she was very, very mature, very smart, very talented. Yeah. So she was bad B for sure. For sure. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye.